Welcome to the Enchanted Library, where we turn the pages of books, beautiful and old, living and magical. It's time to curl up, get cozy, and join us on an adventure. Today we're reading From Yourself and Your House Wonderful by H.A. Gerber. Chapter 11, Your Central Office and Its Stores. We have already talked considerably about the master who dwells in each human house, be it little or big, pretty or homely, good or bad. This master is the real person, the mind or spirit, which does all the thinking, planning, and directing. House masters are as different as the places they dwell in, but each one has to stay in the house where God placed him so long as life lasts. Most of us believe that when the human house is worn out and falls into decay, God allows the master to move out and occupy a better one, provided he has shown that he is fit to be trusted by taking proper care of this one and making the best use of it. As we have already said, each master lives in the top story of the house, where he can look out of the two windows and see all that is going on. His whole house is very wonderful, but the most wonderful and interesting part of all is surely in that bone box called the skull. The master's office is in there, and so are the main telegraph and telephone stations of the house. From these stations start any number of telegraph wires or nerves. Nerves are tiny white cords, so small that you cannot see them, except when many of them run along side by side, and thus form thick cables of many fine wires or threads. Although many of these little telegraph wires start out and run to every part of the face, the greater part of them run down your back together and then branch off from there to all the different parts of your body, inside and out. The biggest nerve cable, which is made up of ever so many fine threads, runs right through the little bones, which form the spine, stringing them all together like beads with bones all around it, bones which have many joints and can therefore bend almost any way you please. The nerves of the spine are so well protected that they can do their work without running much risk of being broken or damaged. You can see in pictures just how little branch telegraphs start off here and there along the main line. But pictures only show the biggest nerves or wires. If they tried to show you all the fine little ones, there would be such a network of white lines that you could no longer see where any of them went and would be greatly bewildered. There are so many nerves because every hair on our body, every pore in our skin, every little wee bit of tube, and every scrap of muscle or bone has its own nerve, so as to send a message if necessary. Night and day, as long as we live, messages flash back and forth along these little nerves. Not a breath is drawn, not a motion is made, not a heartbeat takes place, without the nerve sending orders to have it done and reporting just how it was done. If the poor master of the house had to direct every breath, every heartbeat, and all the other wonderful things which are always going on night and day in his house, he would have no chance at all to sleep, to think, or to enjoy himself. So the greater part of the work in his house is done by clever servants, who do not trouble him in any way. There is, for instance, a servant in the breathing telegraph office. He sends all the orders about breathing, year in and year out, and sees to it that all goes well in his department, whether the master is watching him or not. Sometimes the master asks his servant how things are running, 
orders him to take extra long breaths, make him keep the bellows very full of air, or empty them quickly or slowly. But generally, the master lets the breathing servant manage his work just as he pleases. As long as the master does not wear tight clothes, which prevent the ribs from rising and the muscle wall from sinking when the bellows fill with air, and as long as he can get plenty of nice pure air, the breathing servant is quite happy and need not consult his master. But when the air is too damp or too cold, when it is smoky or not pure, or when there is not room enough for the bellows to open wide and receive all the air they can hold, this servant gets sorely troubled. Then he sends messages to the master, who can pay heed to them or not, just as he chooses. But if the master does not listen to them, he is not doing his duty, and soon all will go wrong in his little house. There is another station where a servant receives all the messages from the pumping dwarfs and gives them the necessary orders. In another place, all the messages from the stomach are received and answered. There is also one for the skin, one for the kidneys, one for the eyes, one for the ears, and so on, because each bone, each muscle, each cell, each tube, and all the different parts of the body we have mentioned have nerves which run straight to certain stations. As all these stations are managed by skillful servants, the housemaster does not need to bother about them at all. Besides, they are all connected with the main office, the brain, where he sits. And the minute anything is wrong or needs his attention, he knows perfectly well that those trusty servants will send him notice. If the master is clever, knows how his house is made, what his servants need, and how his machinery can be kept in best order, he can easily find out what is wrong whenever he receives a message saying that things are not running smoothly. When anyone knows just what is wrong, he generally knows how to set it right and how to prevent any further trouble of the same kind. A good master can, therefore, see that not only the damage is repaired as soon as possible, but that the same accident does not occur again. But a stupid, careless, or ignorant master gets quite bewildered whenever any of his servants send word that anything is out of order. He does not try to find out what is the matter or to set it straight, but only growls and grumbles because he is disturbed and made uncomfortable. When too unhappy or uneasy, he sends for a doctor to set things right for him. But often a little common sense used in time would have made everything right and prevented all this fuss and damage. The nerves, like the muscles, are apt to get very tired, for they too use up a little of their material every time they do anything. Still, if the blood boats bring them plenty of wholesome food, fresh air, and other materials for repair, they will keep well, work well, and be happy, provided you give them enough rest. In fact, people with really healthy nerves are those who never know they have any, that is to say, who never feel them in any unpleasant way. If the nerves do not get food, air, or rest enough, or if they're squeezed too tightly or hurt in any other way, they are very likely to be unhappy and ache. When they feel very badly, they make the master of the house so uncomfortable that he knows there is something wrong and that he has nerves. Often other people know it too, and then they call him nervous. When a grown person or a doctor talks about nerves or nervousness, it is generally all right. But when children complain they are nervous, it is all wrong. Your fathers and mothers, who often have to be up all night with sick children, who have to work all day, look after the housekeeping, make and mend all your clothes, plan how to make a little money to buy all you need, and do many other things, are of course very tired. They wear out every day more nerve material than food, air, and the little rest they get can repair. As you can plainly see, they cannot be anything but nerve-tired or nervous. 
But children, who sleep all night, who have no cares, and who do very little hard work, have no excuse whatever for having tired nerves. When such children are nervous, you may be very sure it is either because they are not eating the right kinds of food at the right time, because they play too hard, read too exciting stories, or perhaps they do not get enough air or exercise. A little girl who was fond of putting on airs once told her mama she was far too nervous to go to school, but quite well enough to go to a party. The mother, who knew that when children talk about nerves it is all nonsense and only means they are spoiled, answered, You nervous? What nonsense? Don't you know that nerves don't grow until you're 40? The little girl never talked about her nerves again. Now, the mother knew perfectly well that even the smallest babies have nerves, but what she meant was that until one had lived long enough and worked hard enough to feel nerve-tired, one has no right even to pretend to be nervous. Children, when really ill, can be nervous for a little while, and then everyone is sure to be very kind and patient with them. But unless they are very ill, you may be sure that what they call nervousness is nothing but crossness. They can stop crying or fretting or fidgeting if they like, and the sooner they can learn to do so, the better for themselves and for everybody else. Any person who gives way to such feelings without real cause is very weak-minded and lacks self-control. Up in the brain, there are a great many little storehouses, in each of which there are many little cells or bottles. In some strange way, Every message received is kept in these wee cells. As soon as the servants in the central station receive a message, they bottle it up and put it away where they can easily find it again. They are such careful servants that they never make any mistakes. All the messages about form are therefore stored away in one place, all those about color in another, all those about smell in a third, and so on. There is a place for everything in the brain, and everything is in its place. Let us suppose the master is sitting up in his office half asleep, with the shutters of his window tightly closed. All at once, through the ear nerve close behind him, he hears the one word, Rose. What is Rose? he asks. Then each of his little servants in turn tell him what is stored up in his Rose cells. The smell servant informs him how nice it smelled the color servant that it was pink or red or white or yellow, the place servant of the spot where it grew, the feel servant how soft its petals were and how hard its stem. Next, the friendship servant reminds him it was given to him by someone he loved, the memory servant that he had seen other roses or that he had helped to plant the bush on which it grew, and the worship servant that the rose was made by God for the delight of man. So you see, one word or one thought stirs up a big to-do in the brain station, and whenever the master chooses, his servants will tell him all they know about anything by bringing out all the information stowed away in their little cells. Now we will suppose two little boys playing together. Billy, without meaning to, hits Johnny. A message flashes up from the place where Johnny was struck, saying, I am hurt, what shall I do? Then comes another message from the eyes, saying, It was Billy who hurt you. I saw him strike you. When the message servant is asked, What shall I do? He does not know and asks the master. If the master says, Hit Billy, he quickly sends out a message which makes Johnny's fist strike Billy hard. Besides, the servant tucks away in the brain storehouse a record of the blow received and one of the blow given. Now, if Johnny is a boy who is always ready to hit back, this servant will find many, many other little cells up in his brain storehouse, packed with the memory of blows. Then the servant will say to himself, Huh, 
Every time my master receives a blow, he always says, hit back. So I do not need to ask him anymore what to do. Next time he is struck, I'll just send word right away to the fists to strike hard, without troubling him at all about it. If Johnny said hit back, the thought better and then thought better of it before his fists could really strike and made them stop, the message servant records both of these facts. The next time a blow is given, he looks up the two records and likely is to say, No, no, I must not send orders to the fists to hit back, because last time the master decided it was best not to strike, although he wanted to very badly. Thus, you see, the little servants, if left to themselves, will be sure to act in the way their master usually wishes. They consult the records, find out what the master generally does, and unless he sends contrary orders, always act in just that way. When very little, I was told that God and all the angels saw what I was doing and knew what I was saying or thinking. I was also told that the angels kept a big book in which they wrote down all I said or did so they could read it out loud on Judgment Day. That seemed very wonderful to me. But what is really more wonderful is that all our words, our thoughts, all our actions are recorded in our own brain. We may try to forget certain things, but when they are once lodged in one of those wee cells, nothing we can ever do can change them in any way. Each person bears in his brain a complete record of all he has said or thought or done. People who think kind thoughts, therefore, have their kindness storehouse well stocked, and people who think mean thoughts have the mean storehouse full of the horrid messages stored away in their brain. Our message servants must surely be very sorry at times to have to record certain things, and we can imagine one of them, for instance, saying, See, this is the selfish storehouse. Just look how many cells are stored away here, and each one is full of some selfish deed or thought. I don't like to look at this big supply of selfishness. Over here in the unselfish storeroom, there are only a few small cells filled with unselfish deeds and thoughts. Whenever a message comes up in such a house, saying... Shall I give up my own will and play the game my sister wishes, or shall I make her play what I wish? The answer the message servant always sends is, make her do as you like, unless the master stops it. Every master should look closely after his storehouses. He cannot pack of them, some of them too full, but there are others which should remain as nearly as empty as possible. The storehouses which he should fill up are those of truth, bravery, purity, generosity, unselfishness, and those which should remain empty are the storehouses where all the bad, greedy, selfish, untruthful, cowardly, mean, and dirty words and deeds are stored away. It is these records, which never lie, which make up what is known as a person's character. A good character is the grandest possession anyone can have. All the money, all the genius, all the talent in the world are not so precious as good character. You may work very hard and still never get rich. You may try very hard and yet never get to be a great poet or musician or artist or general or statesman or anything else. But you can, if you choose, see that your telegraph servants have none but good deeds and kind words to store away and thus build up day by day a fine character. The only thing which no one can ever take away from you and which will be a satisfaction to you forever. 
Besides, it is said there are ten things for which no one has yet been sorry, for doing good to all, for speaking evil of none, for hearing both sides before judging, for thinking before speaking, for holding an angry tongue, for being kind to the distressed, for asking pardon for all wrong, for being patient towards everybody, for stopping the ears to a talebearer, for disbelieving all ill reports. Anyone who can train himself to do this is sure to have a fine character in the end. When a great writer, Walter Scott, was on his deathbed, he said to his son-in-law, My dear, be a good man, be virtuous, be religious, be a good man. Nothing else will give you any comfort when you come to lie here. When people are in sudden danger of death by drowning, fire, or anything of that sort, we are told that they all have done or said flashes in a moment through their minds. Just think what a relief it must be when a few but good and lovely deeds or words come to stare one in the face when one stands on the brink of eternity. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and share our podcast with a friend. Visit our website at www.enchantedlibrary.net to see our past books or to connect with us on Facebook. If you'd like to support the work we do, you can visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash enchantedlibrary. We appreciate your support. Until next time, friends, happy reading.